Morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, could I invite you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, which contains a very famous offer and an equally famous response. Uh, this is part two uh, of our new Game of Thrones series. And, and last week, we listened as a, as a dying dad, as David left his son Solomon, the new king of Israel, with some vital instructions about three things, about three qualities. Can anyone remember what the, the three things or the, the three qualities that David spoke about to his son Solomon? Obedience is one, integrity, commitment. Yeah, here's the three things. Solomon is the third king of Israel. And by the end of chapter two, if you were here last week, you'll remember that his rule and his reign are established. Uh, and we said last week that that was actually the fulfillment of a promise that God had given to David years previously. We read about that promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7, whenever God confirmed that one of David's offspring would succeed him as king and that God would establish his throne and his kingdom forever. And so this is all coming true. This is a fulfillment of God's promises. So we're going to pick up the story at the beginning of chapter 3. And as always, let's stand for the public reading of God's intriguing word. It'll be on the screen as well, although the, the type will be small. So if you have a Bible, it would be great. So this is chapter 3, verse 1. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh king of Egypt and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of, king of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and he burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God asked, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. And you have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne to this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of my father, David, but I am only a little child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and a discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and you keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it was a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And then he gave a feast 
for all his court. If you turn over to chapter 4, down to the very end of verse 29, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people in the east. The end of verse 31, and his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered, and get this, 1,005 to be exact. He spoke about plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. And he also spoke about animals and birds and reptiles and fish from all nations came people to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Grab a seat. No, it's a long reading. Thank you. What, uh, what would you have asked for? Right? What would you have asked for? I'm sure you've thought about this before, but if God appeared to you in a dream today, and even that whole idea is not an incredible thought that God could appear to us in a dream, but if God appeared to you in a dream today and said this, ask for whatever you want me to give, and there, there doesn't seem to be any conditions, there's no strings attached, no caveats, ask for whatever you want. I mean, this, this is a kind of Aladdin moment only not three wishes, just one. But be honest, what would you have said? What would you have said? I've often wondered how I would have responded. And I suppose sometimes I think, well, it, it depends. It, it depends when God would come to me and ask that or offer that. It would also depend what was going on in my life. So for example, 10 years ago, if God had come to me and asked, ask for whatever you want me to give, would I have given the same answer today as I gave 10 years ago as I started out here at Windsor? And so the question I'm asking you this morning is, what would you ask for from God today? At this particular point in your life, God came with us. What would you ask for? We know how Solomon famously responds, or do we really? But before we consider his response, I want to look at the first few verses of this chapter. If you have a copy of God's Word in front of you, have a look at this with me. Because you see, it seems, or some people would say it seems, to ring a few alarm bells. Right at the very beginning of this new king's reign, there are alarm bells going off because it says that Solomon marries the daughter of Pharaoh. And he makes an alliance with him. Now, as we all know, Egypt, because it's a pharaoh in Egypt that says that Solomon makes the alliance with and marries his daughter. Egypt were Israel's great oppressors. So the question is, is this a shrewd move on Solomon's part, or is this just plain stupid? Was this clever, or was this compromise? And then it says that the people, the people of Israel were sacrificing at the high places, and in verse 3, we read together how Solomon was sacrificing. He was worshiping at this high place as well. Now, the thing about high places is that they are almost and always condemned whenever they are mentioned in the Old Testament. Now, although this kind of detail about Solomon worshiping in high places comes in verse 3 after we read that Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David. That all sounds great, 
That all sounds good. That all sounds so positive until you come to the next word. Except, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. And you see, what you got here sounds a note of negativity. It's almost as if the author of Kings was pointing out or hinting at a worrying sign right at the start of this king's reign. And if that is the case, then it appears early on that Solomon is making certain choices regarding relationships and worship, choices that may be dangerous, choices that might come back to haunt him, might come back to bite him. And so at the very least, we need to note these for now and wait to see, are they going to develop into something more sinister, something more disturbing? Are these initial choices that Solomon's made, are they a sign of things to come? And before we go on to kind of celebrate and affirm the positive aspects of Solomon's life at this stage, it's probably worth pausing and reflecting on, on these two critical areas of our lives, of your life and mine, our worship and our relationships. Because you see, it's in these areas where compromise creeps in. It's in these areas of our worship and our relationships that we need to be really careful as Christians. But back to Solomon. Now, even if his initial choices are ambiguous at best, God still appears to him. Even if, he, even if the decisions he's making right at the start of his reign are ambiguous at best, God still appears to him in a dream with an amazing offer. You see, the grace and generosity of God comes screaming through to us once again, even in the lives of people who are far from perfect. And how Solomon responds to this offer is incredible. It's humbling. Because rather than jump in and immediately make his request, he talks to God. In effect, he prays to God. And he begins by focusing on who God is and on what God has done. And there's a real lesson in this for us because before we present our requests and our petitions to God, the place to start in prayer always, the place to start in our conversation with God is always praise and adoration because that is the Jesus model. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That comes first before we ask for forgiveness, before we ask for bread, before we ask for protection. You know that simple little acronym, uh, ACTS, that we sometimes use to help people to pray? This captures that. So let, let's kind of start from the end. What does the S stand for in this? Supplication, which just basically means to ask for something. The T, thanksgiving. The C, confession, something we've done this morning. But what does A stand for? Adoration. That's the starting place for prayer. And Solomon begins there, and he begins by affirming God's kindness to his dad. And he recalls God's promise to give his dad a son who would sit in the throne. You see, Solomon begins by acknowledging God's faithfulness. And it's that remembering and it's that recognizing who God is and what God has done, that God has been true to his word. It is all of that that breeds confidence and enables you to go on and then ask for certain things. And when Solomon gets to his response to God's, or as Solomon gets to his response to God's generous offer, I want you to notice what actually lies at the heart of his request. We all know what Solomon asked for. 
What did Solomon ask for? One word, wisdom. Why did he ask for wisdom? Now, this is really important because we know what he asked for, but do we know exactly why he asked for this? Look at the reason. Here it is in verse 8. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart. Why? To govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? You see, the welfare of the people of God is what drives Solomon's request. Let me put it another way. People are at the heart of Solomon's prayer. So this is not a selfish request on Solomon's part by any stretch of the imagination. This wasn't what Solomon wanted for himself. And you see, this is what I find particularly challenging about our text. Because you see, as I go back to our earlier question, what would have I asked, or what would I have asked for? You see, I wonder if my response would have been other-centered or self-centered. Would I have thought about asking God for something on behalf of other people, or if God came to me with that sort of offer, I would have asked for something for myself. I know what my answer should have been, but it makes me slightly nervous, if I'm honest, because I know what it could have been. It would have been about me, not we. And although one of the things that I said earlier was it depends. It depends when you come and ask me. It depends what was going on in my life. Well, in Solomon's life, when did God come to him with this request? What was going on in his life? Well, Solomon had just been appointed to the highest position in the land, or one-off. He was all too aware of the responsibilities and the challenges that lay ahead. And as he says himself in verse 7, I am only a little child. Now, he wasn't, but he felt like it. And at the prospect of being king, Solomon felt out of his depth. And so given when this gracious, generous offer came, given what had just happened to Solomon that he had been, in, he had been enthroned, the need to be what he needed to be and do what he needed to do, that is probably what explains Solomon's request for wisdom as opposed to a win in the lottery, as opposed to play for Chelsea, as opposed to stay young, as opposed to be able to fly. You see, Solomon had to lead people. Solomon had to care for people. Solomon had people to inspire, people to encourage. Solomon knew he was going to face situations where he was going to be approached by people who were going to ask him, Solomon, please distinguish between right and wrong in this situation for us. And therefore, with people right at the center of Solomon's thinking, he asked God, for wisdom, not a selfish request, but a request on behalf of others. God, give me a discerning heart for spiritual, intellectual, and emotional understanding to govern all I do and who I am. Do you know it's a brilliant request? It's an incredible request. It is a humbling request. And therefore, therefore, no wonder God is what? God is what with regard to Solomon's request? Pleased. No wonder. Verse 10, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. And you know, therein lies our goal in praying. What is our goal in praying? It's to please God. 
In fact, it kind of take it further to expand it out. Therein lies the goal of our worship. We come to God. We come before God in praise and adoration, in prayer and petition. And our purpose, our goal, our intention is or should be to please our almighty and worthy God. I came across this very simple prayer that Anne Ortland in her book, Up With Worship, suggests that we offer before every public worship service. Here's the prayer she says we should come before God with. Lord, this church service is for you. I'm here to give you pleasure. Is that why you came this morning? Is that how it's been for you this morning? That you're here to give God pleasure with how you've sang, with how you've remembered, with how you've prayed. That's been your reason. Solomon's heart and his prayer request brought God pleasure. And as a result, he was given what he asked for. And so he received a wise and a discerning heart, but he got more. He got a uniquely wise and discerning heart. Look at verse 12. So that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Solomon is a one-off. But there was more because he didn't ask for a long life and he didn't ask for wealth for himself because he wasn't selfish, because he wasn't greedy, because his request wasn't about personal enhancement. And because he didn't wish bad things on other people, he didn't wish for the death of his enemies, which given the time, given the culture, given the context, that must have been an attractive option. But you see, because he doesn't ask for any of that, God decides to give him what he didn't ask for. And so he gets wealth and he gets honor. And again, it's just another example of the lavish grace and generosity of God. You didn't ask for this, giving it to you. But there's more. End of verse 14, I'm going to give you a long life. Although this one comes with a rider. Verse 14, and if you walk in obedience to me and you keep my decrees and commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. If. And that takes us back to David's dying words to his son. What did David say to him? That first point, walk in obedience to God and keep his decrees. And what we've got here is this tension between grace and responsibility. God is gracious. God is generous. But to fully enjoy the blessings of God, obedience matters. How you live matters. What you choose to do today, tomorrow matters. The decisions you take today, tomorrow matter. And this is a consistent theme of scripture. And when we decide, well, do you know something? I'm gonna live just as I want. I'm gonna do what I think is the right thing to do. Despite the generosity and goodness of God, whenever we make those choices and those decisions, we simply cheapen grace. We throw it back in God's face because as Jesus said in in John's gospel, if you truly love me, you'll obey my commands. Grace 
and responsibility. God's grace is amazing. It rescues, it changes, it transforms. But the moment we use God's grace as a license to do what we want, the moment we use God's grace to choose disobedience over compliance is the moment that we reduce its beauty and its power in our lives. And so God reminds Solomon as he showers his life hand over foot with incredible blessings. He says, do you know something, Solomon? Walking in obedience to me still matters. It's really really important. Listening to and following my word as your dad did, that still matters. And nothing has changed for us in that regard. And so we stand here this morning, rescued, saved by the amazing grace of God, which we've remembered again around this table. We've done nothing. Not one of us have done a single thing to deserve forgiveness, to deserve reconciliation, to deserve life in all its fullness. But because in him, We have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Why? According to the riches of his grace that he has lavished on us. We are saved by grace, but now to live the life. Now to walk as Christ walked. Now to not only hear God's word, but to do it. Now to love, which according to the apostle John, means to walk in obedience. So grace and responsibility. We have a part to play. Solomon had a part to play. So how does he respond? How does Solomon respond to the generosity of God? To what he has just received? Well, there's only one appropriate response, and that is worship. And so Solomon goes back to Jerusalem, it says, and when he wakes up from his dream, he goes back to Jerusalem and he sacrifices burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And in a nutshell, what he really does is he goes back to Jerusalem to worship. And it's interesting, isn't it? A little side comment. Back in verse three, Solomon went to one of those high places to offer burnt offerings. Now, even though he's just woke up and he's still in that place, he's still there. Instead, he chooses this time to head for Jerusalem to worship, to head to a better place Maybe, just maybe, Solomon has realized that his previous choice and decision wasn't too clever. And just before we mention Solomon's first test case, I kind of can't leave this whole idea regarding the generosity of God about, with, you know, in connection with wisdom without referring to, and everyone's waiting for me to refer to, and I've got to, where, where am I going to go when it comes to, if anyone lacks wisdom, ask, where are we going? Anyone? James. James 1, verse 5. Do you know, we may not be kings. We may not have the same kingdom responsibility that Solomon did, but what we do have is the same generous God. We have the same generous God who says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask for it. Ask God for it who gives generously to all. I love this, but without finding fault. Isn't that an incredible thought? That if you lack wisdom and realize you lack wisdom, come to a generous God, a giving God, and just ask for it because he'll give it to you without finding fault. Grace. And the context here in James is whenever you face trials of many kinds, which means that this verse applies to all of us because there's not one person here who lives a hassle-free life. Sure there's not. 
Some of us here this morning might be facing more than others are, but we all confront trials and hassles to one extent or another. And therefore, this offer from God, who says that if you lack wisdom, you should just ask him for it, that applies to every single one of us here today. And it's an offer too good to miss. The generous God of 1 Kings 3 is the same giving God as James 1, and he hasn't changed and he doesn't change and therefore, the wisdom that you need today to face the situation you face tomorrow. Just ask God for wisdom, and he will give it to you without finding fault. Do, do we believe that? Do we believe that? As someone has put it, allow the generosity of God to lure you to pray. So back to the text, nearly done. Because no sooner has Solomon returned to Jerusalem to worship and to enjoy, it says, a feast, a meal, but he faces his first big people dilemma. It's probably not the kind, the kind he thought he was going to face. But two prostitutes who live together have a tricky situation to sort out regarding their kids. And I'm not going to go into the details. You can read it for yourself. Many of you know what happens. But long story short, Solomon's wise input saves the day. And the last verse of the chapter says this, when all Israel heard the verdict the king had given regarding these two prostitutes and their kids, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. You see, Solomon knew the source of his wisdom, yes, but now the people recognized it as well. And so those people must have felt, you know something, we're in safe hands now under this new king. We all want justice. This new king is going to deliver justice because it's a God-given wisdom he's going to use to administer justice. And don't we all want that? Don't we all want our leaders to administer God-given wisdom? To bring justice. Solomon's wisdom was immense. And in those verses we read from chapter four about all the Proverbs that he spoke and all the songs he wrote, we see that it put him head and shoulders above everyone else at his time and everyone else forever. And so Solomon was, as I said earlier, he was unique, one-off. But as we close, I do wanna just take us to Jesus. Because in this chapter, in 1 Kings, the language and the vocabulary that's used of Solomon's ability to judge and to understand and to discern and to, to be wise. It's the same language, it's the same vocabulary that's used in Isaiah 11 to describe Jesus, the ultimate coming messianic king from the line of David. Here's how the Old Testament prophet Isaiah predicted Jesus would be, or what he predicted Jesus would be like. And the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, or in a different translation, the spirit of discernment. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. You see, the wisdom the understanding, the discernment, the justice of Solomon points to one who will reflect those qualities perfectly 
And so at this moment in Solomon's life, at this particular moment, I'm not saying later on he will, but at this particular moment in his life, Solomon points beyond himself. He points to Jesus. And as we leave this morning, I've got eight thoughts for you to take away. I don't expect you to remember more than two of them. But here's the eight thoughts based on what I've shared this morning. I invite you to take away. One, be careful about your worship. Be careful about your relationships. Do not compromise. Secondly, remember that praise precedes petition. Adoration before supplication. Three, be others focused as opposed to me centered. It's we, not me. Four, in response to God's grace, live an obedient life. Five, don't be afraid to ask for wisdom from our generous God who gives without finding fault. No matter what trying situation you're facing. Seven, pray that our leaders would administer justice with God-given wisdom. And finally, learn from Solomon, but ultimately fix your eyes on Jesus.